I was phoned and asked uh, for text, I don't remember which, to give a title, and I called it Overcoming Hatred. The last time I spoke here, and I don't expect you to remember because I had to look it up, <laughs> I talked to you about talking back to God, not being disrespectful to Him, but first listening to Him and then letting Him know what we feel in our discussion with Him by letting the Holy Spirit or His Scriptures share with us what he wants to talk about. And this leads to many important subjects that if I didn't do that, I'd never talk to God about. I certainly don't do that in most of my extemporaneous prayers, as we call them. I hope to clarify what I believe is the practice that will lead to greater intimacy with God and will overcome then the anger of Satan and encourage all of us to have more conversations with our God. Jesus came to bring us back in fellowship with God, with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit ultimately with one another. We can only do this by communing with and with each other. He is our father and Jesus is our brother and we as a, his family, brothers and sisters in Christ, are to unite together and share together. All of this is made possible, of course, by the Holy Spirit who gave us the word, who speaks for us when we don't know what to say and promotes his changes in us by his power and not by mine or yours. I want to be clear as I go through this that I uh, th believe that this congregation is already growing in this way. And I'm excited about what's already taken place. I really am. This is to encourage us to reflect on what's happening now so we continue to draw nearer to him and to our Lord. I'm extremely pleased that we've chosen, as I get into why I'm saying this, I'm pleased that we've chosen two men, uh, Jacob and Justin, to lead us in our spiritual walk. They are both excellent teachers and model what they teach in their walk among us. And they are dedicated to following Jesus and helping others, us and others to do the same. Their wives, I wrote them down so I wouldn't miss them here, Lisa and Trish, uh, are dedicated to their family and to us, I believe just as much. And Jasmine and Kale, we're grateful to have them as our children as well. I've been blessed in my walk with God by being able to spend time with both of these men on a rather regular basis. For both of our 
for our uplifting uh, and our encouragement. And both have encouraged us to pray through Scripture. And Jacob started a prayer board back there, and I'm extremely pleased with some of the prayers that you have uh, written and put on, put on that board. They're wonderful. And Justin has emphasized and demonstrated that as he has shared with us about what it really means to abide with God. He's done this with uh, a prayer as well almost each week uh, for our Thursday night group. In leaders' meetings, we spend a great deal of time praying for guidance and for the members of the congregation. This is the first place that I have ever been that we spend a quarter to a half of the amount of time that we're together in prayer, and that's powerful. Many written prayers that are continually shared with me and with others in class, even sent to us by others. There are prayers that will be prayed for at the end of this service for the requests that have been made. In prayers, new members have shared with us, and there have been several, uh, how gracious and how welcomed they have felt by this congregation. And I'm going to read one. Uh, I'm going to mention several names because the, all of these people have done it. I'm only going to read one prayer. I'm going to read Lois's prayer, but Rosie and Pat and Jeff and Jane have all done this in our class, and I've heard others as well make that same kind of expression about how they feel about their reception. My Lord, I am to turn all things over to you. I do this through prayer. Our time together, you always are there listening to me. Because of my wonderful Thursday night class, my church family gives me such strength. My eyes and my uh, heart are open to hearing your word, listening to the prayers that are brought to you. All that are in this class bring such strength to my heart. This class brings such strength to my life. Through prayer, I have learned how to open my eyes and turn my life over to you. You are always my ever-loving and faithful Father and Lord. To you, my Lord, I give you my life and my love. To me, that was powerful. It made me feel warm inside, and I know that it will all of us, and I see such great growth in Lois in just a short period of time. Many other things could be said about the congregation and what's being done. But I said these things to reinforce what we're really talking about here, and that is that prayer and the Holy Spirit are essential for our ability to overcome the devil's hatred, and we are moving in the right direction. So I'm using the thoughts that came to me as I talked through with God about one of the passages that we've been given recently in John 15, 18 through 27. I realize that you might have a totally different response 
to this passage that I'm going to share. But this is what the Holy Spirit placed on my heart as I thought about this and wrote about this concerning this particular uh, idea. I realize that no two conversations are going to be exactly alike. And uh, we don't expect that. And neither does the Lord. I remembered that Jesus had just made some important and very positive promises in John 14 and 15. He will prepare a place for us to and come that we might be with him. He is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the only way to the Father. If we see the Father, we see him. If we know him, I said it backwards, but if we know him, we know the Father. If we love him, we will keep his commandments. We will bear fruit if we remain in the vine. We will be cut off if we don't. One difficult and sorrowful statement Jesus made. He would be leaving them soon. This brought a, brought a great deal of grief to them. But he then said he would send the Holy Spirit to be with them forever. This is the passage, and I want you to think about how you would react perhaps to God as you talk with him about what he's saying here, because if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep your word. But all these things they will do to you on account of me and my name, because they do not know me or him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the words that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in this law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, when I, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. We won't witness exactly like the apostles did, but we will witness on a continual basis as we live our lives before people. So this is what I shared with the Lord, <clears throat> and I'm going to read it to you. I want you to think carefully about what you would say to him about this situation. Omnipotent God and creator of and ruler of all, the one to whom all owe their existence. Am I very naive in my thinking concerning the world and its hatred for you? Am I, as your child, a Christian, attempting to be at peace with a world that is at war in constant rebellion against you? I'm asking you now to give me a better understanding of what my attitude and therefore my involvement concerning the world should be. It is obvious that Jesus 
was hated from his conception. Herod, the king of the Jews, had many children slaughtered in order to destroy Jesus. And as Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature with God and man, he lived a perfect life, moving into his open ministry by going about doing good. He obeyed the laws established by government. The governments you allowed challenged religious beliefs as he revealed you to the world. The only objection that the religious leaders could come up with is you're blaspheming God by calling yourself the Son of God. And although you use the wickedness of mankind to save us from our sins, the government which you ordained and the religion you established took counsel together against your anointed and according to your plan and put him to death as a sacrifice for our sins. Certainly the world is composed of many who give their allegiance to governments, the philosophy of wisdom of men, and to the false religions that saturate the earth. All of these hated Jesus in spite of, probably because of, his goodness. Living as a middle-class, comfortable person in a country established on your truths, one who is able to worship freely as I choose, have I allowed myself to be deluded? That I have become complacent, lukewarm in representing you in this world that obviously hates you, a world that would kill Jesus if they could again. May I remember that many early Christians were put to death for expressing their belief in Jesus. And the truth is, today, in most parts of the world, there are people still being persecuted for him. They persecuted him, and they will persecute his followers, and they will do it all because of his name. Do I understand and respond knowing that the world is ruled by Satan? Yes, he will eventually be defeated, but now we are fighting him, and therefore the world. Father, I know it's of eternal significance that I walk your path and love you. May I accept the fact that you have allowed Satan to control the world and I am to put your armor held together by the gospel of truth and fight him as he works through systems of men as the father of lies. You've warned us, do not love the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the father for you is not in him. This, of course, means to fulfill, to satisfy my fleshly, fleshly my sinful nature. In this sense, the world is our enemy and going after it leads to certain death. But in another sense, you've demonstrated your command to us to not only love our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we are to love the world in the same way you did. You so loved the world that you gave your son. Yes, you gave your son that they might be saved so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life and not be condemned. Yes, in this way, we are to love our enemies that they might become the children of God, your children. Father, may this be a new beginning of my understanding of the hatred that comes from the world and what my response should be. I want to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit in all that I do. That was a little bit lengthy, I knew. But I want you to understand that when I go to a passage or you can go to a passage, that whatever God puts on our hearts, we can just relate to him and understand more fully our relationship with him. The world hates Jesus. The world hates us. 
Satan is at war with God. We are at war with the devil. We can allow Satan to hold us, even while we declare ourselves free. God has won and set us free, but we have to accept that freedom. Questions that came to ask of God concerning myself after I prayed on a personal level were these. And what I'm saying to you is this. The things I'm asking myself now here are the things that I asked myself after I would got through talking about that particular passage. Do I understand the reality of the seriousness of Satan hating and therefore warring against me? We taught our kids in vacation Bible school and Sunday school, I'm in the Lord's army. My wife and I sang that together. I'm going to ask you, did we do it joyfully or did we do it somberly? I won't tell you how my wife and I did it. <laughs> but I want you to remember that it is a deadly serious idea. How have I responded or reacted when I read of the devil's hate? of God, of Christians, of Jesus' cruel death, of the killing of James, a leader in the church, of the stoning of Stephen, or Paul's tribulation. Paul had to have a dramatic event to move him from a warring partner of Satan to a peacemaker for Jesus. Persecution around the world today, I don't think I take that serious enough and I'm grateful that we are supporting the people we are supporting in various places and continue to pray for Brad, Ronya, and Orion and for Dick and Maudine. And I know that you as well as I have others that we're praying for around the world. So I just ask myself, do I need a Pearl Harbor? Do I realize that this could be D-Day? It may take that for someone but the following was written by a member here after praying through this scripture. And it reveals, it reveals what I feel as well. I was struck with the thought that the battle is real and Satan is not backing down. There are more X-rated movies than ever before, murder and mayhem on nearly every TV channel throughout the day and evening. And everyone, especially teens and the millennials, are more obsessed with their iPhones than in nurturing relationships with friends. I'll look this way and not this way, okay? Let alone working on a relationship with Jesus. Workaholics believe happiness comes from 50 to 60 hours a week and parents are enrolling their children in every sport or enrichment program available. Satan is alive and well. He has control over thousands whose hearts have not been captured by Jesus Christ. Do you have a heart for Jesus? Does your heart wholly belong to Jesus or are you placing other things before your relationship with him? A relationship is needed with our Father when it comes to facing the battle currently going on in the world. Satan wants us to either disbelieve in his existence or not feel the need for Christ or to believe in Satan with an unhealthy interest, not seeing the danger in this world. The good news is God does not leave us defenseless when it comes to Satan. We are told in Ephesians to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Our strength 
comes because we are in Christ and He is in us. We have been provided the whole armor of God to put on daily. I believe we sing, I will magnify the Lord as a reminder of just how great our God is. Be confident in Christ and examine your relationship with Him today. And I will tell you that one of the things that has made me the strongest is listening to 20 people or so do that every week. It is powerful. It changes one's life. And so as I think about that, I want to just remind you that I have to have a responsibility to someone, the Lord first of all, but to someone else to make me accountable. And I think all of us need to understand we need to be accountable and have others to be to whom we can be accountable. I said a moment ago, that conclusion is my conclusion as I listen to God. I have come to understand that I am in a war with Satan and he wants to be taking me to my eternal death. I'm not trying to be overdramatic, but for us to be saved from the anger of Satan in the world, we must accept that we are at war. Our salvation is at stake. Many of us listen to Kyle and tell about him in mental illness and his struggle with depression. I've told many of you about some of mine. He pointed out we need not necessarily to give advice as people to help, but understanding with acceptance and then treatment. Comfort, not advice from most. It's a lifelong battle, but with God, strength can come from weakness. He's proving that. I hope I am. I hope others as well. But I'm grateful for the fact that we are accepting one another and giving one another strength also. I have a friend who struggled with alcoholism. It's also a lifelong journey. When he understood his dilemma, he went 90 days, he missed one, to Alcoholics Anonymous. From that, time point, from that point on, he has not taken a drop. He's been encouraged a time or two, but through God, he's been able to be successful, and I'm extremely proud of him. The good news, again, is that the battle belongs to God, and he has already guaranteed our victory. If we think about it from that standpoint, we need to understand that it requires from us perseverance, because faith is the victory that overcomes the world. My prayer I read a moment ago ended with the conclusion that God expects me to reach out to others so they won't be lost, so they will be rescued. They will be saved from the cosmic war that the Bible tells us that we are in, that they may also enjoy eternity with God. God reminded me in my reading through John and Justin did an excellent job. I heard many comments about it in his four sermons of bringing this idea that I must stay in the vine with Christ and bear fruit. 
And I am called to consider how this is done. How are people supposed to be led to Christ? Keep remembering this word, the word abiding. I grew up in the 50s, not 1850s, <laughs> 19. And I didn't think it'd go over that well. Evangelism was our focus. Teach them. Get the word out. Let them hear. Let them believe. Let them repent. Let them confess. And have them be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And have them be buried with Christ. This, of course, reminds us that Jesus did come to seek and save the lost, and we are to join him in his mission, and he will come to gather the harvest. This is, of course, what I believe the Bible teaches. If you haven't obeyed the gospel of Christ, then you need to consider it today, because Jesus can protect you, and he can save you. How often, too often, people can be encouraged to be saved, to go to heaven. Well, that isn't that what I am saved for? Certainly. But I want us to think about, sometimes we have done that and preached that without understanding that this requires a life transformed by the image of Christ by the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit, as I grew up, was neglected, and his transforming power was hindered. That's true in my life. And what a, what a relief and what a, an exhilaration came into my life when I came to understand that God isn't just there, God's here. And I want all of us to believe that and to, and to understand that. Yes, Jesus came to save me. But this also means that I am to be transformed by God's indwelling spirit. And Jesus lets us know that we show the world that we are his disciples by the way that we are loved and by the way we love one another. Jesus is to be seen as the Lord of my life. Now, those of you who I asked to pass out the papers, I would like you to do that now. And I probably should have said a little earlier, uh, but I, I do a appreciate it. And the paper that you're going to get, uh, I've been using for a short time. And when you uh, go home, I want this to be something that you can take with you. I want to go over just briefly and then I will uh, be finished. But the briefly may take a little bit of time. I've been using this idea, and I, I love to sit out in the backyard, and this is something that really helps me. The idea is to become more intimate with God, like knowing Him, being like Him, by praying using the attributes, His attributes, as our subject matter. You'll see in a moment what I'm talking about. This way we will know Him more fully, and he will make us like him as we yield to his spirit. God did not tell us 
very often how to do things, but he told us over and over again how we are to be and then do. And he's left a lot of the doing and how it's done up to us. And we need to remember that. And uh, as we think about it for a moment, we are to abide in him. We are to take on his character. Hopefully that will be the result as I and others use the word of God, not just this sheep. But I do, I do want you to realize that when I started thinking about this for myself, I thought about, well, how can I really think about God and pray to God as I move through and really focus on him? And I thought of then these lists that are given in the Bible. And if you look at them, they're all attributes of God. They're all things that God wants or God doesn't want. And we can know God very, very clearly as far as knowing what. But we need to get to know him in such a way that what he knows and believes is found in us. I, I think of the song, I sing the song. And by the way, I want to say this. He makes us so that we are to be. And so what we do here, we should do elsewhere. I have a son-in-law that sings a lot. Maybe more than his wife wants. But I do sing quite often in my backyard so my neighbors can't hear all the time. But the song, Have uh, Your Own Way, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, is a powerful song. And there are a lot of powerful songs that will lift us up and draw us closer to the Lord, telling Him that we want to be like Him and that we want Him to make us like Him. And... I want to say that as I grew up, emphasis was really placed on what we're doing right now. Get the worship right. But the trouble is, God really didn't ever tell us exactly how to do this, but he told us what we are to be when we do worship. In other words, what I want us to understand is we're to go to the Word of God to get God's character and allow God with His Holy Spirit to lead us to do the things that we need to do as far as this is concerned. And that is abiding in God, I believe. I'm going to give you a little bit about this paper and then a couple of things that I've done and then I'm going to read you a passage. I put 1 Corinthians, or, yeah, 1 Corinthians 13 there and it was mentioned this morning. Do you know where this passage is found? It's found in the in middle of some instruction to people who are squabbling over how they worshipped. They were interrupting. They were doing things that were wrong. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, and we need to listen to this very, I need to listen to this very, very strongly. Nothing is worth anything without love. Without love, we are destroyed. Satan has us. With love, we are in control, in God's control. And so 
I really went, first of all, to the Ten Commandments because of what was given. And I came to realize that a couple of three places, almost everything is negative. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, don't do this, etc., and, and this type of thing. But one of the things that I came to as I was praying through the Ten Commandments, and I'm not going to give you a lot of these, but as I was praying through the Ten Commandments, I came to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. What could come to my mind, first of all, is, well, I don't have to keep the Sabbath because it was given to the Jews, right? And so I'm not obligated. But the principle of the Sabbath has almost been destroyed because it means resting with God. It means reflecting on God. And so I have to ask myself, and I did, what are my Sabbaths? What are my times with God? How am I abiding in such a way that God is making a difference in my life? And then I could go on with what I should be doing in that particular thing. I thought about do not murder, and I think about Jesus' statement to me. You better look at how you look at other people because you better look how you think about other people because Jesus said we can hate people and murder them. We can do things to others with our mind. It's really destroying ourselves. In the armor of God, which we all need to put on, we're in a battle. I want to just mention truth because truth is absolutely the thing that we are focused on. But we need to be focused on truth in such a way that we are really seeking truth and not trying to prove necessarily what we believe. Seek truth. God is the God of truth. I hope you've changed your mind over something in the last five years that's in the Word of God because that means you've been studying. And the author says here that this is motivated, this has started with prayer. And Paul has said in another place, pray without ceasing. In the, in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, Jesus talks about the fact of what we all need to remember and that is, blessed are the poor in spirit. All the way through the word, God tells us to be humble. He's going to elevate us if we're humble. Now then, I'm going to go to one other section. And that's down at the bottom. The seventh thing that God hates. About the hate that God, the devil has for me. Or the hate that God has in his heart. Not directed at us. But listen, and I think about this very much. I'm going to give you two. Haughty eyes. And the seventh one, one who sows discord among brothers. I am never, and I ask God about this, I think about this. Do I look down on some people? Am I prejudiced? Do I really, in the relationships that I have, elevate others and, and become the servant? The other thing that I have seen over my lifetime is people disagreeing over how we worship, fighting about it, and separating. The Bible has never, ever said to do that because of how we worship. So I want you to think about that. I think it is beautiful that we're talking about it, but I want you to also remember that, and I know some of you seem maybe times overwhelmed these things are given to us and Bill's leading us so that we can now study further and we can have a launching pad 
in order for us to make our minds up in all of this. I'm asking you to take this home. You don't want to use it, water it up and throw it in the wastebasket. But I'm telling you this. If you don't have something that is helping you to be transformed, Jesus has told us the world is not transformed by what we say altogether. Because if what we say does not match what we do, it will not work. And therefore, what I want us to understand, and, and I've, I've prayed to God about, and that is, help me. Help me to understand that I am in every way to seek people, to help them, but the most important thing that happens to me is that God is going to transform me. The most important thing that happens to you, he didn't come to just save us to heaven. He came to transform us to heaven. And we need to understand that. And so that may this be our challenge. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to read this from uh, 2 Peter because this is kind of a promise that fits all of the things that we're talking about here. read the third verse of this first chapter of 2 Peter. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So it's God's power that we add to our faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, and it's on there. That's God's power, it's not mine. But then here's what He says, and I want us to listen to this and this is my conclusion, and I'll just walk off because I want you to have this in your mind. I've got to make sure I'm reading the right passage. Make every effort. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective, or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.